Amen. If you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6 as we come to the conclusion of this sermon of Jesus in Luke 6, a parallel to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, but here a sermon on the plain. We'll have our scripture reading verses 43 through 49, following which we will Sing together the Gloria Patri printed for you in your bulletin. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Luke chapter 6, verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when the flood came, the torrent struck that house, but it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. And God will add his blessing to this reading of his word. Amen. Let's bow for just a moment of prayer, please. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is before us today, and we do pray that you would illumine our hearts and our minds by the work of the Spirit, that we might understand what is here for us, that it might have an impact in our lives. And we pray, O Lord, that you would be, that everything I say would be honoring to you and according to your will. And may you be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to the end of this sermon, uh, as uh, Ryan put us on the path, uh, it's about the upside-down kingdom. We've been seeing some of the characteristics. And where Jesus ends this sermon is on two particular characteristics of authentic or true disciples. And what we see here, the two, the two characteristics of true disciples are they bring forth good fruit and they build on a strong foundation. So we want to look at those two things. The first is, and you see it in verses 43 to 45, that a, a, a disciple, a true disciple will bring forth good fruit. Of course, we all bring, bring forth fruit. Every single one of you is bringing forth fruit. It's just what kind of fruit are you bringing forth? And Jesus is making it clear that as a man is inwardly, so he will be outwardly in his actions and in his words and, his, uh, and what he says and what he does. And so inwardly, if we're corrupt, then corruption will come out If inwardly we've been transformed by the power of God through the work of the Holy Spirit, then outwardly our fruit 
will be um, godly as well. Not perfectly, uh, but the tendency, the, the, the general tenor of our life will be godliness, even though we'll struggle at times with different things. And so the true disciple has a heart that's been transformed and will bring forth good fruit. Uh, bearing fruit is inevitable. It's inescapable. Uh, J.C. Ryle has written about uh, this, about the necessity of bringing forth fruit. <clears throat> Let me read you a few of his comments. He says, let it be a settled principle in our religion that when a man brings forth no fruits of the spirit, that he is not the Holy Spirit within him. One simple question must be our rule. What fruit does a man bring forth? Does he repent? Does he believe on, with, with his heart on Jesus? Does he live a holy life? Does he overcome the world? Habits like these are what scripture calls fruit. Let it be a settled principle again in our religion that when a man's general conversation is ungodly, his heart is graceless and unconverted. Let us not give way to the notion that although men are living wickedly, that they have good hearts at the bottom. Such notions are flatly contradicted to by, by our Lord's teaching. Let us close this passage with the solemn self-inquiry and use it for the trial of our own state before God. What fruits are we bringing forth in our lives? Are they or are they not fruits of the Spirit? What kind of evidence do our words supply as to, as to the state of our hearts? And so this characteristic of a true disciple is a moment for self-examination. What kind of fruit are you producing in your life? What is it that's coming forth from you? Is it good fruit or not? And it's important for each of us to examine ourselves and think about that and think about the qualities. What is it that God wants you to have? What is the fruit that God wants you to have? Well, in a sense, the Bible answers that throughout, but I want to take you to three passages as food for thought and thinking about it. The first is Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. <clears throat> Paul here is instructing the Galatians, and here he brings up in this point the fruit of the Spirit. So Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Nine elements of grace that ought to be evident in our lives. Again, not going to be perfectly, but do you have love? Do you have joy? Do you have patience? Do you have kindness? Do you have gentleness? Do you have self-control? If the Spirit of God is in you, he's going to be working these things out in your life. Another passage is from James. If you would turn to James chapter 3. James, a great book of wisdom. He is giving us another list. So James 3 verse 17 <clears throat> James 
He says, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So the fruit coming down from heaven, the wisdom uh, that brings that fruit to us is evidence itself in these qualities. Are these a part of your life? Again, not perfectly, but are they a part of your life? Do you uh, have purity? Are you submissive? Are you considerate? Are you impartial? Are you sincere? And one other passage is in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. A few books after James. And in this chapter, at the beginning of this chapter, Peter says, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And then in verse 5, he says, so 2 Peter 1, 5, for this very reason... Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, characteristics. Do you have godliness? Do you have brotherly kindness? Do you have perseverance? Do you have goodness? These, these and the other qualities, are these being produced in your life? It's a moment of self-examination to reflect on that. <clears throat> what kind of fruit are you producing? And we look at our own fruits though the temptation is to spend more time looking at the fruit of our neighbor. Well, I'm doing okay, but I'm not sure how my neighbor's doing with their fruit. And we are fruit inspectors to a degree. We are to examine ourselves. We are to see in people's lives, are they bearing fruit for the glory of God? So before we leave this, I want to remind you of what Jesus has already said how our Christian discernment is to be carried out. And just a few thoughts. So we're back in Luke 6. Uh, the first thing that Jesus said in verse 36, 636, be merciful just, just as your father is merciful. You and I are to have mercy. Sometimes we have to have mercy on ourselves. But we're to have, we're to have mercy toward others. We, we use Christian discernment and judging in that proper sense. But we, it needs to be merciful. Uh, the second thing that Jesus reminded us of is not judgmentalism. Verse 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. You are not to do your fruit inspecting with judgmentalism in your mind. Not judgment not condemnation, but with mercy. You want to be an encouragement, not a discouragement. And then the third element in verse 41 is humility. Why do you look at the speck of dust in your brother's eye 
when you have this huge plank in your own eye. You got to get rid of the plank in your own eye before you can be able to look at the speck of sawdust and help them get that out of their eye. We have to have a great deal of humility. Mercy, not judgmentalism, humility. We could add lovingly and prayerfully. But at the same time, fruit inspection of ourselves and to sometimes others is necessary. For sure, your own self-examination is absolutely necessary. Are you bringing forth fruit? That's the character of a true disciple. But Jesus goes on to talk about another characteristic of an authentic disciple, a true disciple, is that he's building on a solid foundation. Uh, Because there will be times in your life that circumstances will come and they'll be overwhelming. And it will threaten to shake your foundation, to shake your life. Paul, in a different context, different imagery, he talks about us being in a spiritual warfare And he says, what you need to do is to put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. The evil day comes and you have to be able to stand. His his help in that passage is putting on the full armor of God. In this passage, in the Parallel one in in the the Sermon on the Mount is we have to build on the right foundation. If we're not on the right foundation, then our house will fall. And what he does in these verses that follow is he gives us description of two different types of followers, the the true disciple and the um, one who has an empty profession. And, And Use it along the line of how are they building? On what are they building? And so in verse 46, he tells us how to build poorly. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? It is possible to claim to be Christ's disciple and not be obedient to what God has told us to do. Uh, This person calls him Lord. That's a a statement of, of a recognition of the, it's a language of the disciple, it's a recognition of his authority, and he he calls him Lord, Lord, to emphasize and underscore uh, the feeling of his commitment to the Lord and his, that he really is a genuine believer, but the problem is he doesn't do what the Lord says. And this isn't a new thing, Uh, This wasn't new in the time of Christ. 600 years earlier in the time of Ezekiel, God said to Ezekiel, my people come to you as they usually do and they sit before you to listen to your words, but they do not put them into practice. With their mouths, they express devotion, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. And the early church was no... uh, what was was this was not uh, unknown in the early church James says be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves and the outcome of these people who 
say, Lord, Lord, but don't do what he says. Jesus will give later on in the passage, but they're not, they're not building on the right foundation. They're not building the right structure. Then he moves on to tell us, well, how to build well. How do we build well? Verse 47, I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. Here Jesus is giving the description of how a true disciple um, builds well. He builds well by coming and by hearing and by doing. Uh, he comes, you, you have to come to Christ. Coming to him by faith, coming to him to listen to him, to hear his word, to read his word. You have to come to Christ. He has to be the person you're going to. That your attention and focus and allegiance is on him. You got to build on Christ. If you don't build on Christ, your house will fall. But not only coming to him, we have to hear him. We have to listen to him. Pay attention to what he's saying. There were many people in that crowd that day, most likely, who didn't hear what Jesus was saying. Now, I don't mean they didn't hear the audible words. That, of course, they heard the sound of his voice. But they didn't get what he was saying. They didn't pay attention to it. They didn't let it sink into their their hearts and their minds. They were, they heard sounds, but they didn't really pay attention to it and take it seriously. And we have to learn how to be good hearers. We have so many distractions, so many things that distract us from the word that we're not listening to it. We don't, we're not always, we're not always listening uh, many a parent here could talk about the child of uh, the time their child heard the words, but they didn't listen to what was being said. And one of the examples that come to my mind, not about my kids, they would hate me for that, <clears throat> is uh, that where people don't pay attention to what is being said is that flight attendant on your flight for those of you that have flown more than once, you know that at the be before the flight ever leaves the ground, the flight attendant comes up, gets to the front and goes through this list of safety features on the plane and what do you do, with this happens there, that happens. And for anybody that's flown more than once, it's very boring and people don't pay attention. Uh, I have this huge load of guilt if I'm not looking at the flight attendant. And I, I have to reach and get the, the card out of the chair in front. I just I can't survive if I don't get it out of there. One flight attendant was telling us her story that she was going through the routines and, and not a single person on the plane was even looking at her. You know, they were reading or doing whatever they were doing. And uh, on this particular occasion, it just really irritated her. So at the end of the announcement, you know, the last part of the announcement is if the masks fall down, what you're to do with them. She ended her announcement with, 
And when the mask drops down, place it over your navel and continue to breathe normally. <laughs> and she said, even then, nobody noticed. So we don't want to be indifferent. We've got to pay attention. We have to listen. How do we listen? We've come to Christ. How do we listen? It takes work. Uh, it takes effort. You pray. Pray for the preacher. Pray for yourself. Pray that your ears will be opened to what God's having to say to you. Come prepared to listen as much as is possible. It's, it's, uh, I know there are lots of thoughts that invade our thinking in the, in the middle of a sermon or other times. But try to come prepared. I'm going to discipline myself to pay attention. You uh, look in your Bible. Um, you reflect on the text of the scripture. Some like to take notes. But you have to concentrate. You have to discipline yourself to be a good listener and reflect on what is being said. You have to come to Christ. You have to listen. You have to hear what he's saying. And the third thing is you have to put it into practice. You have to do it. Think about what it is that God is telling you in that passage and how can you apply it to your life? How can you carry it out in your life? And it doesn't have to be a major thing. It doesn't have to be something dramatic, something very simple. Maybe a kind word. Maybe a, a simple gesture um, towards someone, a subtle change in your attitude about a matter. It doesn't have to be super dramatic. But some way that you are beginning to put this into practice. Uh, hear the word and do it. Well, then Jesus goes on to talk about the results. First for the authentic disciple who built well, and then for the empty professor who built poorly. In verse 48, he says regarding the authentic disciple, he is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. Uh, the issue isn't when the, the issue isn't if the flood comes, it's when. Notice Jesus doesn't say if a flood comes. He says when the flood comes, because uh, for many of you here, maybe most of you adults at least for sure, you know the flood has come more times than you'd like to count. How are you gonna stand? You have to build well, build the foundation. Remember what God is doing through, your, through this flood. A hymn we're gonna sing in a few moments is uh, hymn 94, How Firm a Foundation. The third stanza, when through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow for I will be with thee, thy troubles to bless, and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. The purpose of your distress is not to, to, to cause your house to fall. The purpose of God in your distress is to sanctify you. 
It's to bless you. We don't see that. We can't see that sometimes. But that's the purpose. And if you've come to Christ and are listening to him and doing what he says, you're building on the foundation that will stand. Uh, J.C. Ryle, once again, such a man's religion may cost him much. Like the house built on a rock, it may entail on him pains, labor, and self-denial. To lay aside pride and self-righteousness, to crucify the rebellious flesh, to put on the mind of Christ, to take up the cross daily, to count all things but loss for Christ's sake. All this may be hard work. But... Like the house built on the rock, such religion will stand. The streams of affliction may beat violently upon it, and the floods of persecution dash fiercely against it, but it will not give way. The Christianity which combines good profession and good practice is a building that will not fall. You need to build well. Doesn't mean you won't experience difficulty. What it means is ultimately you'll be brought back to a place of hope. Well, the last thing he considers is the the result for those who are empty professors. They hear, but they don't do. He says in verse 49, the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And the moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Such a man's religion appearance may look good for a while. Uh, They worship alongside the true believer. They participate in the same sacraments. Uh, They're outwardly, their appearance is much the same. But in the day of trial, the result will be known. In the day of trial, the true believer will hold on to God because he knows God's holding on to him. But the false professor will say, I'm done, and walk away. You see, the day of trial and affliction is going to happen to everyone. And it doesn't mean that the believer is not going to struggle, and even maybe for a time, Uh, lose hope. But ultimately, because they're on a sure foundation, they will endure. Because they know that God is with them. And he will carry them through. That it's not their strength that they're depending on, it's God's strength. And they know God's strength is, is infinite. And I may not be able to hold on. I may be losing my grip, but I know one person who's not losing their grip, and that's God and your Savior, Jesus Christ. He knows how to hold on to you. And you rest and you trust in him. True disciples have these characteristics. They bear good fruit because it's grown out of a renewed heart in Christ. And they build on a sure foundation of Jesus Christ. May these two marks of the authentic disciple be yours. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for Jesus preaching his instruction, for the reminder uh, in our lives, both of 
how we need to live in a way that honors him, how we need to build on the foundation of the rock that is Christ, that we might not uh, fall away. I pray that for each of us here, we might know the truth of these things in us, even if at the moment we're going through difficulty, that we might know the truth of all of this and it might uh, glorify you and bring forth fruit in our lives. And we ask that you would do this work in us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.